Welcome to Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 52. Today we're talking sci-fi's 12 monkeys. This is Ali Matu, and I'm joined, as always, by AJ Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? Going well this fine day. How about you? Doing pretty good. We've had a rainy weekend, but we got a sunny day today. So excited to spend it podcasting and talking to you about 12 Monkeys. What do we have? What could we possibly have in the crossover today, Conrad? In the crossover, we are pitting 12 Monkeys versus 12 Monkeys, but really we're pitting the film version of Cole, uh, James Cole versus the now newly premiered television version of James Cole. And the question is, is which cold you think is more capable of carrying out his mission successfully? That's that's uh, a lot of monkeys in the crossover chamber. I mm-hmm. don't know if we've ever had uh, 24 monkeys in there, but I am sure we will be able to compensate for it. Uh, right. And we have a cool top five today. We have in the past done top five uh, TV series to movies, but we have not done top five movies to TV, which is what this uh, TV series is. So we'll be talking about that today. So uh, lots of cool stuff lined up for you today. So Conrad, this is 12 Monkeys, just premiered um, here in the United States and I believe uh, elsewhere in the world. Uh, what is interesting about this is uh, carrying forward from our episode from December on Ascension, this is sci-fi, or mm-hmm. as we like to say Sifi. on the Nerd Hour, Sifi. Uh, this is Sifi's uh, continued effort to double down on science fiction, um, getting back to some of the basics, trying to recapture some of the magic they had from Battlestar Galactica. So um, we're going to dive into this discussion. I think it's safe to say we are going to have spoilers for uh, the first episode as w- and when we get into the crossover spoilers for the movie um and uh, i think it's safe to say probably if you're a fan of science fiction you gotta see the movie and if you're a fan of the movie then probably check out the first episode right 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 um and you know this this idea or or concept of 12 monkeys goes back a long way i mean the film that Terry Gilliam did was actually based on a French film from 1962 called Le Jeté. Mm -hmm. And now we have the television series, which is based upon, um, and it's, it was even pretty clear in the credits that was based upon the screenplay of the Gilliam film. Yeah. Uh, So, (laughs) so a lot of, a lot of borrowing here and and inspiration here. It's getting a little timey-wimey with 12 Monkeys here. Yeah. Um, but it is a dystopic future. And that I think is the same across all board, <laughs> across the board here. Um, and it begins in the year 2043. And we have some, some leaps back in time. We've got some successful and unsuccessful leaps back, back in time. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, it's kind of interesting seeing this kind of a series when you think about the series Walking Dead in the context of that? Uh, what was so funny to me is uh, I was I, I read a tweet. And I saw, you, I saw you put that up there, and I actually <laughs> thought the same thing as I was listening to the voiceover, but please yeah, share. Yeah, it was at uh, Kyle Loves TV said, um, I think the entirety of The Walking Dead just happened during a voiceover montage, hashtag 12 monkeys. So it's, it's a... 
it is a similar pre- uh, premise. There is a kind of a virus, a whooping cough kind of thing that wipes out uh, most of humanity. And uh, there's only one generation left. Um, the humans have to basically hide out for a while. I think they hide underground and then they sort of discover this time machine <laughs> that right. exists. Habit, by happenstance, of course. But, you know, as, as one does. Um, and they are able to splinter um, right. individuals and send them back in time. So they're trying to go back in time. Um, they're sending Cole, this individual, back in time to uh, try to find a way out of this. They know um, certain uh, individuals are involved or a certain individual is involved. And that's where the premise of the TV show takes off. And so this is starring... And it does, it does change... It is a bit changed from the film because in the film, they're not necessarily trying to change the actions in the past or what happened in the past. They are trying to actually get a pure form of the original virus to create a cure. Mm -hmm. And in this film or in this in this version of the story, the television series, it seems much more as if they are trying to change the events that happen in order to make the future a bit rosier which also means that everybody in the future, as it is currently in 2043, would be erased. Yeah, there's a great uh, infographic online about time travel and fix versus dynamic versus multiverse time travel and these different visions of can you change a future, can you not change a future, or if you do change the future, have you created a new multiverse? And so I think the film and the TV versions here are definitely taking different uh, stances on that. Right. And and this is starring Aaron Stanford, uh, not Bruce Willis, as James Cole. <laughs> that uh, said, okay, as I rewatched Twelve Monkeys, Bruce Willis is starting. Yes, uh, the, Bruce Willis is starting to scare me. He really has not aged much at all. He looks the same. Do you think uh, he's like actual time travel? He, uh, he just might keeps be. He might be. Past. He just keeps coming back. Um, it's just remarkable. And I mean, if it, I don't know what it's due to. Maybe it's genetics. Maybe it's something he's doing in terms of his regimen. But man, it is because even Brad Pitt looks. Brad Pitt looks young. Yeah, he, but but he Bruce looks Willis like he's aged. Kind of doesn't. Yeah. So no, I was like, wow, so this he, is crazy. He's lost hair. If you look at mm. uh, uh, Die Hard One, um, he definitely has a, a lot more hair in that film. But once he's lost his hair, he does not age. No. So anyway, yeah. just just as an aside, he's on drinking that. a lot of snake venom. <laughs> um, so this is starring Aaron Stanford, who many of you will probably recognize as Pyro from the X Men films, and Amanda uh, Skull. Uh, Skull. I'm not sure if I am saying that right, but she is starring as Doctor Cassandra Riley. Cassandra. Uh, Cassandra, yeah, which is funny because that's a little bit of a play on the film as well, well right? Yeah, well, it's a play generally. Um, in the film, they talk about the Cassandra syndrome, and that's from the Greek mythology, which is Cassandra was basically cursed because she kept giving these um, predictions of the future and nobody would ever believe her until they came to pass. So um, they interestingly changed the name of this main character. So you, that I think that that's clearly a precursor for where they're going in the series. So yeah, Catherine, and, she, and she's already kind of dealing with it in the series because, you know, she had an interaction with Cole. Nobody believes her. They think she's a little nuts. Her, her illustrious career um, as a virologist 
is in the toilet um and she has you know even her very close relationships like her her boyfriend doesn't really believe her um as she says he gives her that oh she's gone around the bend look or that crazy look you know so she is definitely a cassandra in that sense of the word in the series and it's it's interesting because she is a virologist on the TV show, uh, was a psychiatrist in the film. Another interesting change, which we haven't necessarily seen yet in the first episode, but the uh, famous character uh, in the film that was played by Brad Pitt, the psychiatric patient, um, he is uh, recast uh, as a uh, female character mm-hmm. played by Emily Hampshire. Yep, so um, he uh, he was... Uh, the the man in, in charge of his dad was the virologist in charge of this whole uh, biotech company. Um, and so in this film, it's Jennifer Goines, whose father is in charge of that. So that's an interesting little twist. So uh, interesting connections between the films, uh, bef- between the film and the TV show. And uh, we have um, a wonderful, wonderful uh, villain in this uh, <laughs> in this film. Um, who can you say his name, Conrad? Uh, Zelko Ivonic, I, I want to say. Um, but you've seen him in everything. Oh yeah, and he always plays a villain <laughs> or deliciously somebody, evil, or villains. somebody as a you know. He he's definitely always this kind of a creepy character when you see him. It's, you know, it's, it's always, you always worry that something is going to happen, you know, so. Oh, yeah. He's so deliciously evil and you've seen him pretty much in everything. Um, he's, he's a fantastic character and I'm so glad to, that they were able to, to get him in this. So with all that said, um, oh, and I, we should also say that this is, um, the, uh, showrunner here is, um, uh, she was a showrunner on um, – no, she was a writer on Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. And I know, Conrad, that's, uh, that's a show you, uh, you liked. And I didn't really get a chance to really see too much. Um, but uh, Natalie uh, Kaides, uh is the, uh, the showrunner here. And so uh, we're familiar with, with some of her work. And she was trying to build 12 monkeys uh, based on some of the lessons she's learned from Sarah Connor Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And there's a great io9 article about what she learned, about how time travel isn't important unless people care about the characters and don't fall down the rabbit hole of time travel. Make sure the storyline makes sense from a villain's point of view look deeper into the mysteries that the movie only touched on um avoid the x of the week stories establish really clear stakes from the beginning know the main points of where your season is heading in advance so those were that's kind of her mission um based on what she's learned uh do you think she achieved that goal based on this pilot Um, I mean, it's tough to say just based on a pilot, but I think she was able to yank people in. I think even if you had not watched the film and didn't know about the story, I think she could, it was a good cold opening. Um, I think she did a good job. Um, And I think the actors did a great job at executing this. Um, The one thing that I will say always drives me insane, though, is that um, and this is maybe a discussion for when we get into the crossover chamber. You know, when whenever you have a, a character that's trying to convince somebody uh, 
that, you know, without your help, the world is doomed kind of a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both in both renditions of the film and in the television series, we have the scene with James Cole um, basically kidnapping uh, the character of Cassandra or in, Catherine is in the film. But, you know, I feel like in the case of Cassandra, if a virologist was there and hearing somebody talk to her and he's saying, look, you know, I have knowledge of the fact that there may be a pandemic that is deliberately released upon the world. I have knowledge that this is going to happen. I feel like she'd be much more likely to believe that or to at least give it some level of, you know, she's going to she not necessarily believe it immediately, but I feel like she is going to stop and listen to that as opposed to him just being like, I'm not going to hurt you, just drive. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like there could have been a little bit more in the dialogue between them where she's going to give him some credibility or at least hear him out. Um, Whereas I think of the film, because um, uh, Catherine is a psychiatrist and he is acting a lot more disjointed and crazy, his story sounds a little bit more out of bounds. So if you have only a few minutes and you're trying to and you know that it's vital for you to change whatever events are happening and you know this person may have knowledge of it, I think it's in your best interest to try to get to them, to try to make your story as believable as possible. And to me, some of what the dialogue between them in the car in the television series was just sort of playing out that drama yeah, like it, it, it sort of created drama. I'm sorry, it was a roundabout way of saying it, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> no, but like the, the Cole character, kind of like the films. Well, that's the thing, but that's the thing. The Cole character knows he knows how vital the time is. I don't yeah. think he's going to waste time just being like drive here and drive there, and you know, like let's find an alley. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I just don't, I don't buy that as much because he's a pretty direct character, and they do get over this a little bit later on. In the film, and I, I, or in the movie, or in the, sorry, the premiere, I'm getting it's, these all confused. It's confusing, right? Um, <laughs> they do get around to that, and they do stop sort of having this created drama with the sort of withholding of information yeah. from characters, but, but it just feels to me as if this was a very strange way to go about it. If you're trying to get this person on your team, why wouldn't you just say... And you know they're a virologist, so it's not and like he, so it's not like she doesn't understand what you're talking about. I think he does feel this. Um, well, in both in both the film and the TV show, the thing that actually convinces Riley that um, this individual is real and I should actually listen to him is uh, evidence that he is traveling in time. That's what finally convinces her and we see this uh in in the tv show when cole says you know find me in uh in two years or whatever mm-hmm. and disappears and and then she is in that location and he does appear that's kind of what what finally convinces her and in the film it was uh uh getting evidence that he was in this old this war and he appears in this history book and all of that so um that yeah but I- she's a virologist that that studies pandemics and granted maybe she has a lot of nutty people saying that this is going that, to happen exactly that's what i think would maybe probably. she does but you it just is a little i don't know it's a roundabout way of getting her on your side but that's all good i think there's probably um, a lot of people coming up to her and, and making these kind of claims uh you know uh, uh, what sorry go ahead 
Yeah, yeah what I was going to say is uh, I, I think over all this pilot really worked for me conrad it was it was nice to see something as complicated as uh as the 12 monkeys premise uh, done on tv it's been a while since we've seen science fiction like that um in some ways it was reminding me of lost um and how complicated that plot became uh, i know we just covered that a few months ago with the lost anniversary and uh, there's not a lot of sci-fi like this on tv so i really appreciated that I, I like um, some of the uh, social relevance now. I mean, we're mm-hmm. you're talking about Walking Dead, and I think Walking Dead and this with the share in common is some of the relevance related to uh, pandemics that can break out. And whether it's the flu or Ebola, uh, this kind of stuff has been in the media recently. And I think that's interesting. Um, my own, uh, only real complaint, there's probably, I got two here, one that you and I would probably share. Uh, so I'll start with the one that we might not share. And that is uh, compared to the Terry Gilliam film, which I also rewatched, uh, it, it, this feels a little bit cold. Um the, the Terry Gilliam film, um, it's got a lovely – He, he it, it reminded me of his earlier film, Brazil, and how mechanical and tubular and um, just wild and wacky his vision of these dystopian futures are. Um, the TV show felt a little bit more like a cold thriller um, kind of thing going on. I'm okay with that. I don't agree with you. I don't think that Gilliam's vision would work in the in the television series way with, without making it. Um, I think it works in film, um, but I think for a television series, you're going to lose a lot of the people that are not yet fans. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, it's, it, it's it definitely wacky. went more toward a fringe feel for me, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to I know exactly what we're talking about. There's like this weird steampunk. feeling mechanical feeling that Terry Gilliam has in all of his films. Um, and, um, you know, I, I just, just about, I think all of his films, I can't really, I'm trying to think of any that are, maybe Fisher Kane is the one exception to that. Um, but I think that in some ways they have to make that distinction because otherwise people are going to be like, this is way too far out, even though understanding that it's on the sci-fi channel. No, um, I, and I'm not saying it should have had that same vision, but what I am saying is it it feels like it um, – maybe it's something about the characters, but it feels colder uh, mm. to me, a little bit like it's missing the some grit. heart. Uh, um, it's, it could be grit, but it, it just feels like it's been um, – kind of distilled down to its minimum a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say that it's lost its soul or anything like that, um, but it does well, feel like it's 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 a little bit more plot and a little bit less character and the world feels a little bit less alive. Now, mm-hmm. I will say that the, the pilot spends a lot more time in the past than the film does. Right. Uh, the film... The TV show kind of takes place about 50 minutes into where the film um, is. And so we see much more of the past. And in in the film, we see a little bit of both. So maybe that'll change if we do see some of the future. Um, I don't know. Well, also remember, Terry Gilliam does not have involvement in this. No. So they're not not really able to... To use those concepts, they'd probably they'd get into an awful lot of trouble. 
Um, but, you know, he said even last year that he didn't know anything about the film. We'll put up the link in the, the show TV. notes. Yeah, yeah. Or sorry, in the television series. Um, it, he's like, it's ridiculous. It doesn't have anything to do with me. and Nobody has contacted me. Um, so... Um, so, he's not a fan of the uh, or he wasn't then I don't know if that has changed but maybe that is a piece of that um, I also think that in I think it's tough especially in a television series if your showrunner has a very specific idea of how these ideas are going to be played out how they're going to be presented um, because again when you have time travel everything gets a little bit confused so your narrative has to be very strong and your idea of what you have to do has to be very strong if you're going to get those concepts across. And, and I think it was. And I do, I and I agree good. it was. So I think that she made choices that I'd agree with. The other thing I really noticed, and this is just a general observation about television shows, the quality of the the filming and the effects and the sets and the lighting for a television series surpass those of a lot of films and so uh, this totally I'm, I'm right there with you i think the direction the music um it, it felt at a higher definitely comparing to ascension um there was there's nuance here mm-hmm. uh, to how this was done uh just from a, a technical standpoint and uh that i really loved really appreciate it um so yeah so i i don't i i kind of agree with the direction that they took away from that Gilliam-esque universe. Um, but what was the other thing you thought we would agree or disagree well, with? Well, my other thing that, that we both agree with is um, it, it wasn't the most diverse cast. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I definitely... But that being said, there are uh, some very strong women yes. in the cast. Um, clearly, Cassandra Rayleigh is, is a virologist. Um, and then we also, on the future side of things... Um, you have Barbara Sukawa playing Jones, who mm. is um, she? They imply that she might be the creator of the time machine, or she was the one who who discovered it or or improved upon it. Um, and she is. Um, I thought her acting was excellent. I'm curious to see what more she does with it. But she's a very strong character. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm holding out judgment here. I think this is a really strong start, uh, technically as well as uh, just kind of the vision and the premise. I like how complicated it's getting. Uh, you're right. There's a lot of um, a lot of uh, female roles here. I love that they uh, switched out uh, Brad Pitt for Emily Hampshire. Mm-hmm. I think that his performance. Um, Brad Pitt's performance in the film is so iconic and unique and memorable that this is a nice way to deal with that. Though in uh, retrospect, a bit overdone. Overdone, um, <laughs> yes. Um, and man, but, Conrad, I could have, you know, the last time I saw the film was probably about 10 years ago. Um, so rewatching it now, being a psychologist, man, the film really explores all these questions about to me, it's a film about um, identity and about um, roles and expectations and what is normal and how that's defined by culture. I think it, it reminded me of this uh, psychological study where this uh, psychologist had his graduate students fake um, symptoms of mm-hmm. uh, schizophrenia and get admitted to a hospital and then stop faking them mm-hmm. to see if anyone would now believe that these people are actually um, uh, not experiencing these things. And no one did in the hospital. Right. And it kind of speaks to 
how we understand uh, what's normal and what's not. That's what I took away from the film. I'm curious to see what this television show is going to end up becoming, if it's going to explore similar themes or if it's going to go in a different direction. I don't think we have enough um, data right now on on what the show is really going to be about. But it's something I really do want to pick up on uh, or I, I want to pick up as a show. I also felt like there were some interesting nods i don't know if intentional or not intentional to other science fiction oh no um, there was definitely nods to other science fiction in here Termina- yeah. terminator which makes sense <laughs> were, um, yeah yeah it, it felt like they were they were missing uh cyborgs in yeah this, yeah uh, totally <laughs> uh, um time but it, cop oh yeah um, totally um the one thing i would say is just from a diversity point of view um I I agree with you on that point. I'm I'm hoping maybe that as the series go on goes on, it improves. But generally, I have seen with with series once in a while that will improve. But it's interesting that they chose to not go in that direction from a casting point of view. I mean, you definitely had um, some of you may remember um, the character or the actor who plays. Um, Cole's friend um, from Fringe. Um, do you remember? Did you watch no, Fringe I, at all? I didn't know. We, we, this constantly comes up in our conversation. Oh, sorry. I, I always forget that Fringe. you have not seen Fringe. Um, but um, Kirk Acevedo, he plays Ramsey, which is, which is Cole's best friend. And he was um, Olivia's sort of partner for a while and then turns into something weird in Fringe. So he's in there. Um, and then there was a cameo um, by, and I don't remember the actor's name, but I believe he was in The Wire. And when I saw him, I was really excited um, because I was like, oh, maybe this means, well, part of me was hoping that this would be um, an alternate universe to The Wire and that most of that cast would show up, <laughs> but that didn't happen. Um, but maybe maybe further on down the road, it's going to happen. Um but as a pilot, I think that this was successful overall. Um, I'm yeah. curious to see more. It made me wanting to see more. Now, what do you um, think of the um, the Back to the Future two moment? Where oh, that the, was a the little two watches. I know. I was like, you know, Back to the Future two. What are you guys doing? Um, that was silly. It was a little silly, <laughs> but it was so deliberate that I was like, oh, that's kind of a cute nod. I don't know. Well, and all. It, also, the the premise, uh, in in addition to Walking Dead, it feels like Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Right. Um, minus the apes. Minus the apes. Although it does have monkeys, 12 monkeys. Um, oh, oh yeah. Um, but <laughs> um, actually, the what, so, so the piece that we're talking about is that there is a moment when Cole and uh, Cassandra, or Cassie rather, have been captured. Um, and they've been captured by the man, Leland, um, his, well, not Frost. it's not Frost. Um, it's Leland Goins. Frost is a code name. Um, and he has apparently met Cole before in 1987. He yeah. wants to know b- more about him. He immediately throws him in um, and does tests on him to see what's going on. And they discover that he is basically an advanced human. He has um, his his systems, like his adrenal glands and all sorts of things are functioning. They describe him as a human computer. Mm -hmm. Um, Like his processing is very different. Um, They describe it as a grand mal seizure seizure 
that's under control, basically, um, just how his brain function is. And so he has brought Cassie and Cole into his lab. Is that what it is? A secret lab? Um, sure. That's what villains to have. To determine who they are. And the interesting thing is that Cole doesn't remember meeting him, so he has not yet met him in his future. Um, and... They are basically suggesting that they're going to dissect him. So he takes Cassie's watch that he has brought back with him from the future, and then he takes her watch that she currently has on her. Which are the same watches. The same watches, puts them together, and they cause this weird explosion, and he very heroically runs out uh, with Cassie over his shoulder in a super awkward manner. Um, (laughs) Wasn't that the most awkward thing? Like Her hand is kind of up on her butt. And it's like this really awkward slow-mo, and I'm just thinking, oh, those poor actors, how many times that, must they have had to have done this? This is terrible. That's really um, the one scene in the in the pilot I thought just really didn't work. It was a little over and, the top, yeah. And it's it's kind of playing on that Back to the Future 2 idea, which is uh, you know either there will be some type of anomaly in the universe that will cause uh, the universe to destroy, or you know, you'll just like faint. And it kind of goes the the former round instead of the latter. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was it, it, it was funny. Um, I think going back to our discussion It was a bit tongue-in-cheek though. I feel like it was deliberately yeah, yeah. tongue-in-cheek. Um, it, it, like Agent Carter, our discussion last week about the uh, the back-to-back table um, diner scene, I think this was probably intentional. Uh, so there's... You know, there's a lot going on here. And then with with that moment as well, where we learn that this character has uh, one has met the other, but Cole has not does not yet have a memory of meeting him in in the 80s. Um, he also brings up 12 uh, monkeys, which Cole does not have any knowledge of yet. I think we're going to – this story is going to get complicated and it's going to be interesting. And I think sci-fi or Sifi is successful here mm-hmm. in doubling down on science fiction. That was their goal. I don't think they hit it with Ascension. I think they did hit it with um, – 12 Monkeys. We also saw a preview for, uh, I think it's called The Expanse, which is going to be their next sort of big hard science fiction show that they're launching later in the year. Um, if this is a sign of what's to come, then I welcome Sifi back to the world of sci-fi. No, I do too. And I'm curious to see how it goes. The showrunners, the showrunner, I think is doing a great job. And, you know, I was excited to see that she was involved in this project. Um, Absolutely. Because I do think, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Sarah Connor Chronicles were the it was the most amazing thing ever, but there were a lot of really awesome things that they did with that. Yep. Um, and I think perhaps she also learned a lot from doing that. So um, I'm really excited to see the rest of the series. I will say Bill is not. Um, he, of course he's not. <laughs> no, he enjoyed it. He <laughs> just doesn't like the dystopian future idea and it gets him very he's just like i'd rather watch something a lot more happy and cheery <laughs> so, oh, no, so I, I couldn't disagree more with bill i, I know i know so stuff. i think i will be on my own watching the rest of these but he he did suffer through this and and re-watching the film um with me so i i can't really I give him a hard time about that. You won't be alone, Conrad. Yes, I know. He and you have the super fantastic nerd hour continuum i know i know um <laughs> But um, a couple other things about the show, though. Um, yeah, hit me. Um, I just think one of, one of the things which maybe does play into what you were saying, just about sort of the, the world feeling a little cold. 
I was just in thinking about this part of, I think what made the film in, in terms of, of setting up the universes. One of the things I felt that was successful is that in the film, the Bruce Willis character, we see him going around um, basically Philadelphia or, mm-hmm. or the ruins of Philadelphia in his future, which is... And sometimes Baltimore. And sometimes Baltimore. Um, and just sort of going through these buildings and seeing them totally wrecked. There's like wildlife running around. Like it's a really, it's an empty world. Mm-hmm. And in his world, he has to be very careful. Like he's zipped up in basically a biohazard suit he and he won't be allowed back in underground if he is infected with something mm-hmm. um and in the in the television series i don't think that that you really you see sort of wrecks of buildings and things like that but there's nothing distinctive about where the character of cole is walking around outside he's mm-hmm. also not walking around in a suit so it's it's not dangerous enough for him to be walking around outside to be all like suited up Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that, um, it feels much more walking dead than it feels, um, like a futuristic version. You know what I mean? Like you feel like, and I kept saying that I was like, it feels like a walking dead universe. Um, and I wonder if that goes sort of along the the line of not, it's sort of a generic future, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's hard to get that context. Like, uh, this is what the word, and, and I think part of why the film is very successful in that is that you're, you're seeing the wrecked future and then you go back and see what it is like. The fact that Cole's actually able to breathe fresh air is an amazing yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's, you know? a, it, and you don't really get that feeling in the television series. Th- that's, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get at, but wasn't able to say so eloquently and crystallize as you just did. I think that's, that's exactly it is we're, we're missing some of those, those little beats that tell us more about this character and what it's like for him. Um, it, he feels, uh, he feels really great. It's sort of like, it's sort of it, like he's in a dream because he's able he's gone from this horrific future to go back and you know he can breathe the air again he can eat food again he can get you know he can he can walk around without having you know and there are people there are people walking around like there's it's all very different in the television series you don't get the sense that other than there not being a ton of people around and things are broken down a bit you don't get the sense that it's as horrific as the future in the film yeah, it feels more. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of Kyle Reese from uh, the first Terminator film, mm. and I mean, I love the first Terminator film, but that you know he comes back in time and doesn't really experience any of the impact of being back in time, but he's just so driven on his mission, save Sarah Connor, and that's about mm. it. And I think we see a similar portrayal here, and it's not. It's not good or one isn't better than the other, but I'm I'm just a little concerned that they might sacrifice the larger story for the Mm -hmm. character moments. And that's the thing about TV here. TV has an opportunity to do different things than film. TV TV can develop character moments, relationships, small um, small setups that pay out over the course of uh, of many episodes. And I'm just a little concerned that they might go more plot-focused versus character-focused, which is why I stopped watching Helix. Hmm. Um, 
Helix was a show I was quite excited about. Ron Moore uh, from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Galactica. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. That's how my mom would uh, say it. Galactica. Yeah. yeah. You're watching that Galactica show again? Um, <laughs> my, uh, my concerns about Helix really became, um, even though Ron Moore was involved, then it was much more focused on what is happening instead of who are these people. And so I kind of lost interest in, in the characters in the show. Um, so that's my only concern here. But I am um, – this since this is a genre I love so much and I love the film so much, I am definitely on board um, and it's going to have – the show is going to have to majorly f- uh, flounder for me to right. lose it um, compared to other shows where it's like, ah, oh, week to week I'm kind of um, still withholding or still kind of judging it and it hasn't yet earned that permanent place on my DVR. Uh, this show is going to have to fight to kind <laughs> of lose, lose me. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm 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 pretty on board for the for the adventure to see where it goes. Yeah, me too. Um and I and I recommend it. I, I have a good feeling about it so far, at least what you can tell from the pilot. Um I do think that one of the one they really hit you hard with one of the very interesting ideas behind where they're going with the television series. Um and as I said, in in the film, their their goal isn't to change the future, it's to find a cure in the future so the future survives Get data from the past right they're oh. collecting data they're collecting information they're aware of the fact that their information is very fragmented so yeah. they don't necessarily always know exactly what they're collecting they think they know because they're monitoring this this strange voicemail in the future where they, yeah so there's there's all this <laughs> so stuff weird. going on um in the television series that is not the mission i mean cole's mission is to kill Leland Frost or Leland Goins because they got this. Um, it is a similar mechanism, but it's basically a. Would you say it's like a data recorder from Cassandra that she has left, and it yeah. is fragmented. But they're basing what he is doing on this fragmented message, um, which I personally think is a very dangerous thing to do, um, mm. because the context of something can be changed completely. By leaving out a couple of words, this is a very corrupt file they have. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And w- what happens? And again, if you haven't seen it, this may be far too late for you to stop. But definitely stop now if you haven't seen it. Um, it, it Cole succeeds in this pilot episode in killing Goins, mm-hmm. and nothing happens. And the idea was that if that happens, then they stop the epidemic, and that his future is erased, including him. Mm-hmm. So this is not what happens, and therefore the series is going to continue because that is a mystery. And clearly they were wrong, and um, the very big uh, reveal they show at the end of the pilot is uh, they find some missing... Um, they clean up the, the voice file a bit and find some missing information, which leads us to Gwen's daughter. Um, and she is is clearly mentally mentally ill, and is already, you know, drawing the what we have seen as a symbol of the twelve monkeys on the wall of her uh, of her room in in the um, psychiatric ward. And so, that's where we're headed next. And that's so. What is it that you're saying? They're beating us over the head about. They're basically saying this is what the the this is what this series is about. It's not about changing. It's not about finding a cure uh, yeah, in the future. Yeah. It, like now we're in this mystery where um, 
you know, so Cole was on a mission to kill somebody. He wasn't, you know, and Cassandra keeps saying, you shouldn't kill people. And Cole's like, no, that's my mission. And he does complete his mission successfully, but it's not, it is not basically having the effect that the people in the future thought. So now yep. they have yep. to basically go back to the drawing board and figure out this whole mystery. So who is the actual missing p- puzzle piece and what do they need to do to stop this epidemic? And they still don't know that. So that's going to be the the storyline here. Where and the- whether that whether that works as a show, I think is really going to come down to the showrunners here and right. the, the showrunner and the writers to make sure that they have a mapped out plan for this. One of the lost writers came out this past week. I saying, saw that <laughs> saying that yeah, we kind of didn't really know where things were headed in the show. We're kind of making it up as we went along, um, much to to the um, anger of, of many fans yeah. who always suspected as much. Now. Now, if uh, if the show Twelve Monkeys goes down that direction, it's it's going to be an utter failure because this, this is the whole premise that this show right. is based upon. Is uh, we are now in this dynamic timeline where events from the present change the future. It's not that fixed timeline Mm-mm. like we saw in Twelve Monkeys, where Cole came back and said, "You're all dead. Everyone's dead. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. I just need this data." Um, so if we are in that timeline, they better have a plan for what's going to happen and but I think they do. I think they I th- do, so I'm I'm encouraged by that. I guess um what I don't want to see and this happened a lot with Fringe, it happened with Lost, it happened with a few other shows that involve some some uh, when when you have a show that involves a lot of mysterious storylines and things that you're going to eventually have to wrap up, you hope that the showrunners have a solid plan. And I do think that they do here. Yeah. Um and I think that it will just, well, time will tell how they unveil it and if they unveil it well. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, but um, I I still sort of uh, <laughs> remain a little bit reserved. But I, I think it's worth watching, especially if you're into this kind of show and you're not Bill. Um, so <laughs> so uh, with that, shall we uh, venture into the infinite crossover chamber? Let's do it. Let's venture into the infinite crossover chamber. Nice. On- Did you just hurt hurt your voice doing that? Because that was kind of awesome. I uh, no, no. I can go into monkey mode anytime needed. Mm. Um, just let me know. Um, uh, I will always do it for uh, human work. Human work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Don of the Blind Apes. Yes. Was it Don? Don, not Rise, right? Like I, I feel like. It was the first dawn, one, sh- the first one should have been dawn, and then the next one should have been rise. But Agreed. Anyways, that's uh, a tangent. Um, Conrad, what do we have in the infinite crossover chamber? Well, in the infinite crossover tra- chamber, we're pitting Cole from Twelve Monkeys, the film, against Cole from Twelve Monkeys, the television series, against each other. And the question is, which Cole do you think is more capable of completing his mission successfully? All right, so we've got. We could definitely make comparisons between Aaron Stafford versus Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. but that is not what we're debating. We're debating the characters here. And so um, I, I think a little bit of this was foreshadowed in our first segment mm-hmm. where we have the fix versus dynamic timeline. And uh, I think that that does change things a bit for both of these characters. Bruce Willis's character really didn't care at all about anyone around him. He just purely wanted to get information. Whereas the TV uh, version by Stafford is a 
different character who um, sees a bit more relevance to what he's doing in the pre- in the past, I guess I should say, in in these two uh, thousands uh, timeline. Well, well, one of the things that I think that they do differently in their treatment of these characters is also the mechanism of traveling through time and the effects that it's having on the character of Cole. Mm, mm-hmm. So in the film, the Bruce Willis Cole, time travel is really rough on the body and on the mind. Boy, it's wearing him down, isn't it? it He's getting pretty confused. It, he gets confused. It's tough. He he thinks that a lot of the things that he's seeing and hearing are hallucinations. It's yeah. very hard for him to view the the past as anything other than maybe a delusion. Um, he he has physical issues with traveling through time. Like he's very like, you know, he has a lot of violence and, you know, in the first scene that we see him, he has attacked cops because maybe he's had a psychosis from traveling through time. You get that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard for him to even speak um, normally. He has a bit of a tick. He's had, a, he has a hard time even dealing with, other humans in the past. Um, and I think Cole in the television series, time travels a lot more posh. Um, it's, it's not quite as hard on the body. I mean, he does have some physical attributes. We see him coughing here and there, um, but nothing. Or that could be a cold. It could be a cold too, but we don't see, he does not come off as somebody who is mentally unstable. Yeah, the other thing here I want to mention, too, is uh, we don't know as much about uh, TV Cole as we do Not yet. Uh, movie Cole. Like, movie Cole, uh, one of the things also is that um, he is imprisoned. We know about the psychological effects of being imprisoned, and he definitely seems like he's in a deprived environment. Right. He, uh, there's There must be some... Um, impact that those experiences are having on him that might make it difficult for him to uh, deal with the uh, emotions. We know having experiencing a lot of traumas can lead to having a hard time, um, ha- leading to stronger emotions and having a hard time dealing with those emotions. So I think some of that is, you combine that with the rough nature of time travel and we see why Bruce Willis is, uh, we can understand why Bruce Willis's character is having such a hard time dealing with all these situations because he is so impulsive and he is so um so quick to shoot and quick to punch and where he kind of reminded me of um uh, of the terminator and terminator 2 how he just kind of like goes around just kind of killing people and john connor's like no you just can't kill people and he's like okay i'll shoot him in the kneecap right right. Um, well and also the bruce willis character has a lot or it feels like he has a lot less information about what his mission actually is he's told that he needs to gather information and and so he does this weird stuff where he'll be like, oh, uh, there's a spider. I'll bring that back. And he can't <laughs> yeah. bring it back, so he eats it. Like, it's just this very strange. He doesn't have, it doesn't feel like his orders are as direct as Cole's are. Cole has a very yeah. specific, Cole, TV Cole. Yeah. TV Cole has a very specific mission, and it's to take out Leland Frost, i.e. Leland Goins. Um, yeah, him. And, but it's interesting because even though Cole has this, mission we do find out later that he has less information that he thought that they based his mission on very very dodgy 
information that they had gathered. So that they didn't even realize was dodgy. They they thought, right. that, especially with the uh, the frost. Uh, identification of the character. Um, it, it would be like a Terminator going back in time, and instead of John Connor, they're like John uh, Conair or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or why don't you look up all John C's yeah. and figure out which one is relevant to this uh, to this mission? Um, so I feel like some of the reason why, and and I think I'm going to make a bold, not a bold, but an an early on statement, some of the reason why I think John Cole or John Cole, James Cole in the television series is more capable is partially because the storyline has changed significantly from the, the film to the television series. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. Um, so I think ultimately he's going to be the one I feel is more capable um, just because they also have made it less. It, the, the time travel is not as impacting him as much on a mental and physical level. Um, and he also has more information about the mission that he's actually supposed to carry out, even though it turns out to be wrong. Yeah, he, they're treating him differently. It seems like he's more in um, a part of this group um, instead of a un un um, instead of a quote unquote volunteer, right. as we see in the film, an unwitting uh, volunteer. A uh, this character has a little bit more agency, a little bit more knowledge. Um, because it is that dynamic timeline, uh, there's uh, a bit more intention, I, I think, to uh, uh, or a bit more understanding of how what he's doing is impacting the future. So I, I'm right there with you. I think a different question, which is not the question we have here today, is uh, which character makes for a more interesting protagonist. Mm. And I think if we go down that route, oh, it's definitely the the film version of Cole. Absolutely. Because, Absolutely. because, and, you know, and I don't mean to, this is like silly given the premise of this, but I think the more realistic version in terms of what this might do to somebody <laughs> is the film version. I mean, you're, you're putting this person through time, you're, you know, you're, he's come from this super weird future, suddenly he's in this land of plenty, who wouldn't think that that might be a dream or a delusion? You know, it's like, so I, I think it's... It, I think the more interesting Cole is probably the film version, but that wasn't Con- the question. Conrad, I, uh, what I would give to be able to read that research paper, you know, the, the know. psychological condition of time travel, impacts right. on the cerebral cortex and limbic system or something like that. I would love to see that paper. Um, no, I think you're right. I think you're you're absolutely right here. Um, and that, But that might be the difference here between TV and film. Um, the TV show could be about this larger storyline, this kind of weaving in and out of different time and different eras and putting these different pieces together of this mystery and the TV uh, I'm sure God it, it is so it's getting so wibbly wobbly I here. know <laughs> the film version is so much more about Bruce Willis's character right. and an exploration of, of identity rather than the larger plot sure there are these there is a storyline of uh, of who are the 12 monkeys how did this thing break out and there's that great you know, I think the the final fifteen minutes of the film is is very satisfying. It um, is. Even though it, on second watch, it's a little bit more obvious um, some of the clues of who's really behind the release of this virus. But you know, we realize that the twelve monkeys are it's they're a total red herring in mm-hmm. the film. Um, and the, well, and and we also see that ultimately, even though the Cole character dies in the film. Um, he was successful because the person sitting next to 
the uh, person responsible for spreading the epidemic is is Dr. Jones in the mm-hmm. future. So, and she calls herself, um, she works in insurance, which I insurance. thought was very funny. Um, <laughs> but so he, ultimately he was successful in his mission, even though he didn't realize it. Now, um, what, what makes you say that? I'm not sure I'm following. Well, because his mission was to go and gather information yeah. about how the epidemic started to be able to get yeah. a... a um, a sample of the original virus so that the doctors in the future could come up with a cure. And once yeah. he found who was the spreader, mm-hmm. that doctor was supposed to come back and oh. secure what a version of the virus. So clearly she's Dr. Jones is there. So he was successful. So he, she is going to get the sample of the virus and go back. I thought that was just like a coincidence or something. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. I forgot Am I wrong? About- no, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, some might say that's ambiguous. Um, I don't think it's ambiguous. But I, I think given what you're... I, I forgot about that one detail that you just mentioned, that that was the plan all along for another right. scientist to come in back once he's identified the you know, agent zero or the, the patient zero, right. whatever it might be. Um, I think you're right. Um, and yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I think, yeah, we, we've got interesting differences here between TV and film, um, between these characters and how they're presented. Um, one thing I'm wondering is if we're going to see TV Cole go down the direction of, uh, film Cole, if, if he is going to be becoming less stable over time, if we're going to see the impacts of time travel, wear on him as the first series goes on. Um, do you think we might see that kind of direction? Yeah, uh, we may. Um, but I, I think that I, you know, what would be interesting is if we take this and watch the rest of the television series and maybe do a, a recap at the end. Yeah. What do you yeah, think? Yeah. We can definitely do that. Um, and we've got just about, I think it was a greenlit for like a 10 episodes yeah. or 13 episodes, something like that. I almost feel like they need to keep this succinct, though. I hope that this is not one of those series that just goes on and on. And then they're just continuing to sort of play out the storyline because it's... Uh, I don't think they can. I, I, I don't, don't think they can, but we have seen people uh, try to do we've this. We've seen them, yeah. So it's it's greenlit right now for 13 episodes. Um you know, maybe we'll get another season here. Uh, I think, like Battlestar Galactica, that series started with uh, with an end goal in mind. Um, we knew that there was going to be a confrontation between the humans and the Cylons, and um, you know, we kind of know the direction for where the show's headed. I think it's similar here. Um, we know twelve monkeys are a thing. We know certain core characters. We'll probably have lots of new characters introduced along the way. But I think the show kind of ends with uh, that moment that we see in the end of the film, um, and it's just a matter of time until we get there. So um, I think um, I'm getting back to our question, Conrad. I agree with you. I think the TV Cole is more likely to be able to complete his mission, and I guess uh, we will see as the show continues whether that's the case or not all right um so are you ready to close up the chamber and move on to our top fives excellent uh so our top fives today what are we talking about ali 
Well, Tenred, I'm glad you asked the question. Today we're talking about top five movies to TV. So we're talking about TV adaptations of films, um, which is a uh, definite nod to 12 Monkeys, uh, but it's also a little play on a previous top five we did, which is top five TV to film. So, um, Conrad, did you have any criteria going into this uh, top five? Um, I, you know... I came up with a pretty big list at first, and then I just narrowed it down to what were my favorites. Um, And in some cases, I would say it's interesting when a television series is made based upon a film or adapted from a film because of the different directions they can take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I just picked a few favorites. There's obviously a lot of things you could do here, and I did. There were a couple I I picked sort of way far in the past, um, but <laughs> um, but that was really my main criteria. Nothing, not sort of just my favorites from from the genre, um, but nothing nothing too too crazy. How about you? Uh, I kind of went with the stuff that I remember, and oh. <laughs> uh, there there weren't. Could you many. not come up with a big list or no? No, I did not. This is again um, similar to a top five we did um, a, a little while back. Uh, top five fairy tale retellings. I had a harder time coming up with the list, and you had an easier time. And then as I heard your list, I was like, oh yeah, no, how did I forget that? So I think we might have a similar thing here. Uh, my list was a little bit shorter. Um, I did get top five but I did not get any honorable mentions. Okay. So, um I have a couple honorable mentions, but I kept it I limited. I didn't go too crazy. So So my number 5, Conrad is um a nod to a, a story, a film and a TV show that um me and uh or my good buddy and I, uh Lowen Baumgarten and I both enjoy. It's Weird Science. Oh my, my gosh. Five. I totally forgot about that one. Well, Weird Science is funny because I discovered it as a TV show and then much later realized it was a film. Um, I don't even know if I've seen the film. I don't think I have. But it was a show I really liked as a kid. Um, I have absolutely no idea if it holds up. It's basically the story of these two nerds who create this uh, female computer program who ends up coming to life as, you know, things do in the 80s. And uh, the story kind of goes from there. It was something I really enjoyed as a kid probably doesn't hold up as an adult, but I'm putting it here for nostalgic value. Nice. Um, What's your number five? um, My number five is Stargate. Uh, That's my number three. Um, So Stargate, I think most people saw the film with with Richard Dean Anderson and James Spader. And, you know, it was an interesting concept for a film. And then, um, what I think it was sci-fi that made it into a series, and then it became. No, it, I think it was uh, HBO or it, Showtime. Was it at HBO? First. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it was like. And then it moved over. And, then sci-fi. Okay. Um, and you know, it, it sort of blossomed into this crazy. Um, um, oh, sorry. Was it? It wasn't Richard. Dean. Richard Dean Anderson was from the series, the television series. The film was James Spader. And Kurt Russell. Sorry about that, yeah, folks. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Stargate, the television series, just it, it went into all these crazy directions. Um, it ended up doing Stargate Atlantis. It was on for a very long time. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I, it's, it's definitely a popcorn show. I did not follow it throughout its entirety. 
Um, but it was one of those shows, like, I had a lot of friends really into it, so I ended up watching quite a bit of it. And I was always just fascinated by the fact that they took this feature film and it was now this sort of mammoth universe on its own oh, in yeah. a television series. So that's why it was my number five. Yeah, no, I, I picked it as my number three, and it was for the same reasons. Um, I think it really can, it's the only other science fiction show that can kind of compete with Star Trek in terms of the number of adaptations and spinoffs that it's had. It's had so many spinoffs. I know. And it has been this epic, expansive franchise. So for that, we've we got to put it on here. Um, I really love the film. And uh, the film came out, I think, a couple weeks before Star Trek Generations and ended up being the far superior film. Um, And I picked up the show here and there. I have not seen it consistently throughout. But uh, from what I saw, I did like and Richard Dean Anderson. I mean, come on. He was MacGyver. We had MacGyver on our top five, uh, I believe, last week, was it? Yes. It was last week. So uh, a lot of love for him. So, yeah, he's uh, Stargate's my number three. Awesome. Uh, what do you have as a number four? Um, my number four um, is Highlander. <laughs> and, oh. and again, this is seriously a guilty pleasure. Um, the you know, I was a huge fan of those films um, of the film, and it was you know, it's terribly cheesy. It's it's tough to rewatch, and it's even tough to rewatch the television series. But I I used to be very very into that, so. Um, you know, it it had to be on my list. It was not, I would not suggest that it was in any way good. Um, but it was on the TV series was on from 92 to 98. I mean, it was pretty long running show. Um, (laughs) and you know, it follows the adventures of, of Duncan McLeod. Um, and it starred Adrian Paul as, as, um, you know the main character the main the main the main lad duncan um and you know so it's it's super guilty pleasure but it i had to put it on the list i i support your guilty pleasure um and I think my number four is probably also similar where I don't know if it definitely uh, holds up, but it is something I, I got to put on the list because it was something that I really enjoyed. Uh, my number four is Back to the Future, the animated series. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't really pick movies that were made into animated series. I thought about doing... Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters and extreme Ghostbusters and I just was like oh I, I thought you were going to call me out on it so I didn't do it <laughs> um, well and didn't we have Ghostbusters we animated? did and that's we, also why I didn't because I we had talked about that quite a bit so yeah, yeah. Um, um well I I watched this uh, pretty intensively when I was a kid um it, it takes place right after uh Back to the Future 3 and it kind of follows Doc Brown and his family on their time travel adventures um uh, Tom Wilson, um, who was the uh, uh, Biff from the movies, is a voice here, but some of the other voices are different. Uh, I think Christopher Lloyd is in it a little bit, and Bill Nye is actually in it, but the other voices are a little bit different. Uh, Dan uh, Castanella um, is in this, and he's been in um, uh, a bunch of other stuff as well. So anyways, um, I really liked this as a kid. Again, I have no idea 
if it holds up as an adult. But uh, Back to the Future is one of my favorite film franchises. I love each of those films, even number three. Um, this is the year that uh, uh, Marty and the Doc travel to in Back to the Future 2. So pretty soon we all are going to start having to dress like they do in that film. Um, so how can I not put this on the list? So my mm. number four, Back to the Future, the animated series. Nice, nice. Um, and my number three was Stargate, which leaves your number three, which is? Uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I thought so. I um, thought this was going to be on your Which, come on, you got, you got Lena um, Headey as Sarah Connor. Most people know her now from Game of Thrones um, as Cersei. Um, and she plays, you know, she's Sarah Connor, so she's the, the main character, clearly. Um, but Summer Glau uh, from, from Firefly fame and uh is also in this which is great um as a terminator yes and she's amazing and so it wasn't a very long-lived series but it was it was good um and i think that the idea behind it was sound and it was an interesting idea um and storyline so if you haven't seen it i definitely think you should check it out um yeah i i haven't and i think Part of the reason why I didn't, because my roommates at the time um, did watch this. My roommate, uh, Tony and Lowen, back when I was in grad school, uh, they would watch this. And I, I'm not sure why I didn't watch it. Um, I think part of it is my, my love of and fatigue, simultaneous love and fatigue of the Terminator franchise. At this point, we didn't have Terminator Salvation yet, that horrible monstrosity of a fourth film. But we did have Terminator 3, and which was interesting um, and much better than I thought, but wasn't really the sequel I was looking for. Um, and now we've got this new Terminator Genesis with the weird spelling of Genesis coming out mm -hmm. this year, which is basically like throwing out the entire continuity uh, of the Terminator uh, films and TV show. So I think there's uh, some... Some of my sadness with what's happened with the Terminator franchise is probably what went into me not watching it. But I, you know, I, it's got great people in it, people that have done a lot of good stuff, Conrad. I, I guess I should probably consider it at some point. I feel like you would like it if you gave it a chance. You know, it's probably a good thing. If I end up having the flu this season. It's a good, yeah, that's exactly what it's good Probably for. a great flu show to binge watch. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll put it on my list of, uh, of, of, of flu-worthy shows. Um, so let's go on to number two. Uh, I like my number two pick a lot. Okay. And I'm hoping it's on your top five. because uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Oh, God, I'm so nervous. Um, my number two is the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. It is not, but it was in my honorable mentions. Ah, okay. Well, uh, the other film franchise that I have probably equal as much love for as I do Back to the Future is the Indiana Jones film series. And I really love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love uh, Last Crusade. Uh, Temple of the Doom I don't like that much, but I it's... I, probably ranks about the same level as Back to the Future 3 does for me. Um, like, I'll watch it. I like the characters. That'll get me through it, but it's not my favorite. Um, 
But I really enjoyed the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. There's a few uh, episodes of it that really stick out in my mind, and it was kind of based on that idea. If you if you look at Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and the first part of it really takes place with a young Indiana Jones, the idea was, well, what if we had a whole series kind of based on this character? And um, this is such a fun character, and it was so great to see that character play out over the course of uh, a TV show. So I loved it. Well, I I agree with you on all those counts. I never, I didn't watch it fully, which is why I didn't really feel comfortable putting it into my list, even though I agree with all the points that you just made. Well, that didn't get in the way of my number one, which you'll see. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, um, what's your number and two? And actually, I, well, my number two is actually Fargo, oh, um, cool. which was based on the Coen Brothers film, Um and it had in this, it, it debuted in, um, or premiered rather, in um, last spring. Um, and it had like a crazy cast uh, with, yeah. it had Billy Bob Thornton, it had Colin yeah. Hanks, Martin Freeman. Um, it, you know, and Fargo as a film is one of my favorite films, even though it's super, super dark. Um and probably it, because it's super super dark Connor. maybe but it's sort of one of those films like it's hard for me to explain why i like it so much um yeah. you know i i think it's it's just incredibly well done so when they said that they were doing a television series i was like you that's like, what? well i just couldn't really i was like why what is the point of doing that and in fact they did a great job i am a little surprised that they are because there is a second series coming out um premiering next fall and i'm just like is this now going to be the mystery of the season kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah, Um, So I'm not so sure about that, Um, but it's very well done. It is dark, um, but they executed this very, very well. So, um, but again, not, it's, it's, it's absolutely dark comedy. This is not a cherry, cherry show. Yeah. You know, I, I saw the film and I love the film. Um, You know, new is a huge fan of Fargo, the film, um, I haven't seen the show yet, but I've heard wonderful things. So Awesome. Um I'm glad you picked it. Um number one dun, 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 dun. I think you know is. what my number one is gonna be. Come on. Uh I do not know. It's Buffy, the vampire slayer. Oh see, this is another example of me forgetting obvious choices. Of course it is. Of, of course, course it is. Um, um, a reminder for fans who haven't heard the first 20 <laughs> times of you talking about Buffy. No, well, okay. You know what? This is the first television series that always comes to mind when I think of films that are made into television series. And I will also admit that when it was announced that Buffy the Vampire Slayer was going to be a television series, I mean, let's face it, the film was definitely not the best film ever made um it had some good ideas it it was sort of like the idea of the television series buffy the vampire slayer and then suddenly it was like oh wait we should make this into a television show and we can do this a lot better by doing x y and z and they did that and it turned into something entirely different i still enjoy it um there certainly now i think there's references that a lot of people won't it's dated there's no question that it's dated but i i think it's super still, early 90s yeah it totally is <laughs> but it is kind of funny that way um so i still enjoy it it's still going to be my number one um yes i heart buffy 
That is uh, a good pick. I'm glad that uh, we did not neglect that one. Um, and I appreciate you uh, remembering that, Conrad. Um, my number one is the number one pick that comes up in my mind when you think about uh, mo- uh, TV shows based on movies. And my number one is MASH. Oh, that is a solid choice. You know what? I did not think of that. So, Boom. so you and I are both guilty of that. But no, you're absolutely right. That we is are both guilty. We are both victorious. No, but that picks. is that is an incredible series. Absolutely. MASH is a amazing TV series. And um, in fact, I was thinking about MASH the other day because uh, uh, one of my buddies' dads said, you know, who is it that you keep reminding me of, Ollie? You're you're reminding me of this guy. And he's like, Alan Alda. You remind me of Alan (laughs) Alda. That's not a bad comparison, but I don't uh, know that that's who you remind me of. Yeah, and I was like, well, I appreciate it. I don't really necessarily see it. Hey, I'm Alan Alda, everyone. How's it going? No. So I I can't even do a good Alan Alda impression. But anyways, I was thinking of MASH. It was on my mind. And um, this is a film um, or a TV show, I should say, that not only is it one of the most critically acclaimed shows and its finale had one, it was one of the highest rated finales of all times, but uh, or of all time, I should say. Um, but this is a very, very popular show that premiered in the 70s based on a very popular film that uh, takes place in the Korean War. And it has a lot of social commentary for the Vietnam War. And I saw it primarily and I mean I saw it completely in reruns um, however it was uh, even though I grew up in an era outside the Vietnam War and outside that context the characters and the writing just still really appealed to me even as a kid um, and it's it's a show I'd probably like to revisit a little bit here and there um, because I'm sure it probably holds up uh, but fantastic Writing, fantastic actors, um, a show that had real-world relevance, um, uh, just uh, a really great one. All right. Well, I totally agree with that, and I feel terrible for missing it. So <laughs> That's why, Conrad, we have each other yes. to support the the topping of the fives. So um, sounds like you had some honorable mentions. Um, not too many. I, I had to throw in uh, La Femme Nikita in there and Clueless. Uh, Yanina Jones, as you mentioned. Um, I also put in The Odd Couple in there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, there are so many. Um, although one thing I will say is that it's kind of interesting how many of these there are. Um, when you think about it, you would think that there may be some more original ideas in terms of television series. But I get it. There's a built-in audience and the storyline, and you can just kind of take that and, and reformat it and... Voila, you've got a successful series, hopefully. So I get why people do it. I just think it would be interesting to see more unique ideas out there. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, so that I, I think that. that, I don't know, I think that wraps stuff up nicely. Um, I do look forward to, to watching more of 12 Monkeys, and I am excited to see the rest of that. So Can um, I um, uh, give us, uh, uh, I just remembered that we have some very, very quick listener feedback. Um, and this is, uh, uh, we got a new uh, review on iTunes 
by M580, um, who says uh, uh, that they love this podcast and find it very informative and extremely entertaining, and they really enjoyed our geek versus nerd uh, debate. So M580, welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm sure they're probably picking things up from episode 50, where we talked about nerd versus geek and what it means to be a nerd. So thank you for that uh, listener feedback, and uh, please do uh, give us more feedback on iTunes and give us a review and a rating. That's what helps new people to, disco- uh, to discover the podcast on iTunes. So thank you for that. Um, and we'd love to get more listener feedback. What did you think about 12 Monkeys? How does it, how does it compare to the film? And what are some of your favorite movies to uh, TV adaptations? You can reach us online. We have a Twitter account at NerdHour. You can also go to nerdhour.com. That will take you to our website. And you can send us an email at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Conrad, where can people find you this lovely week? Uh, this week, they can find me uh, on the the re-risen or newly arisen reanimated. <laughs> the reanimated, reanimated. We are both uh, back from our plague, so... So I am happy to say that that we did some we did an actual review in a podcast this week. So that's uh, reanimatedpodcast.com on Twitter. What did you guys review this week? Um, this week we did a little combination. We talked about Paranorman, which was long overdue, um, and we're also uh, just doing a, a review of season three of Walking Dead. So we started out on that. So very cool. Um, but that's reanimatedpodcast.com, and on Twitter, reanimatedpcast, and on Twitter, I am. At Die Prince, but Ali, I know you have some continuing exciting news um, with your your newly launched endeavor. Yeah, I do. So if you go to thepsychshow.com, uh, that'll take you to my new weekly uh, internet uh, show, uh, The Psych Show. <laughs> and every week, I'm doing short, quick, entertaining fun uh, videos about psychology and pop culture. This last week, I talked about the psychology of free speech. Um, This week, I'll have a new episode coming out about diversity in media and why you should care about that. Um, So check it out, uh, thepsychshow.com. I'm also the science fiction psychologist at brainknowsbetter.com. And I am on Twitter at Alima2. And for people to check in for Nerd Hour, if there's stuff you want us to review and all that fun stuff, Definitely ping us in in all of the multitude of ways that you feel free to do. <laughs> yeah, we would love to take requests. You know, our, our big episode 50 was based in part about a conversation we had with the Elder Geeksman at San Diego Comic-Con, as well as some listener feedback from uh, Randy, who had questions about what actually it means to be uh, or to be a part of geek culture. So we would love to take your listener feedback and turn it into some episodes, especially now that it's winter time. And uh, we uh, need to figure out some more episodes. <laughs> I want to say, um, before I forget, that um, I had a dream that uh, the good Stuart Tiffin turned into a zombie on an airplane flight that we were sharing. Which is interesting um, since you've never actually met Stuart. We've <laughs> never met in person. but Stuart- Well, I actually had a dream last night about uh, giving a, a vial of, of live virus 
to some rock star. So clearly, <laughs> Twelve Monkeys what is, is wrong with us? clearly Twelve Monkeys managed to work its way into my psyche last night. Oh, absolutely! It's been sorry. Uh, what, so, so Stuart was a monkey, not a monkey. No, he was <laughs> a zombie. He was a we zombie were, on the plane. We were on a flight. I have no idea where we're going, but we're on a flight. I was like, "Hey, Stuart, how's it going?" And then, um, like half an hour into the flight, he turned into a zombie, and I had to escape. And then I don't remember what happened. So, um, make of that what you will. And with that, <laughs> we hope you all stay very clear of uh, all zombie hordes. Um, watch out for those 12 monkeys and... Uh, and zombies, and, clearly. And zombies and, and live long and prosper. Indeed.